Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, my name is Bex and welcome to Getting Emotional. Every week I'll tell you about a brand new emotion you might have felt but had no idea there was a name for. This week, it's Fago. Before we begin, a little bit of news. Uh, We got nominated this week at the British Podcast Awards in the Bullseye category, which I am absolutely thrilled about. So if you do follow the awards, make sure you see what happens. And whether we win, lose or draw, I am very, very happy to be nominated. Anyway, on to today's podcast. We start it with a geography lesson. For me, not you, because I am terrible at geography. Because to understand where this feeling comes from, I had to crack open an atlas and go down a few Wikipedia rabbit holes. Come with me while I travel to four little islands in the Pacific Ocean, known as Ifaluk. The islands belong to the state of Yap. That's one of four states that create the federated states of Micronesia. You with me? Good. Ifaluk was known as a warrior island, and it's not exactly been plain sailing for the people there. As it's part of the Caroline Islands, a group of tiny islands in the Western Pacific. In 1899, its sovereignty was granted to the Empire of Germany. A few years later, after the First World War, that transferred to Japan. And after World War II, it was passed to the USA. Finally, in 1979, it was handed over to Micronesia. There's not many people living there. I think in 2000, the population was about 561. But it's fair to say, they've seen their share of history. The people who live there are pretty peaceful. Any acts of anger or aggression are actively discouraged, and their sense of morals and general respect kind of sets the tone for how everyone treats each other. Apparently, some American soldiers have tried to show them films from the USA, and the locals were horrified at the amount of violence they all contained. Don't get me wrong, they know anger can and should exist, but they only consider it appropriate if it's a specific type of anger. One that's justified and understandable, even kind of reasonable. There's a word for that type of feeling, song, which I'll no doubt explore in another episode. Children are also taught about another emotion, matagu, the fear of what an angry person will do. And women on the island are known to have dressed up as ghosts to deliver firm warnings to unruly children about the perils of anger. Sociologist Catherine Lutz spent a year on the island and wrote about her experiences in 1990. She noted that there was very little aggression between islanders. The only moment of confrontation she heard about, or even witnessed, was one man touching another man's shoulder, which resulted in a stiff fine. They also value sharing much more highly than I reckon we do. They would share a cigarette with a whole group, or divide a fish with as many people as possible. Everything's about working together as a team, even in language. For example, if someone was inviting you to hang out, they wouldn't say, I would like to see you. They'd say, we should do something together. To them, that's a much more inclusive and polite way of phrasing it. So yeah, to be honest, it sounds pretty civil, idyllic and perfect. But there are a few quirks of the hierarchy on the island that we Westerners would maybe find uncomfortable. But hey, who are we to judge? It's just their culture is different to ours. But that's good, because it means they see the world in a different way. And as previously mentioned with Song and Mitagu, it means they've identified emotions and feelings that haven't really occurred to us. I mean, we've probably felt them, but have never even bothered to pinpoint them precisely. 
And today's emotion is a perfect example of that. Fago. Fago is a combination of feelings. Love, compassion and sadness. It's most often felt, I think, when caring for someone. The idea being that you love someone and feel compelled to look after them, perhaps out of compassion or maybe pity, but you know this won't last forever and they will eventually leave you. Maybe because they get better and stronger and ready to move on. Perhaps they'll pass away. Or maybe, I guess, you might leave them to go on your own adventures. I think it's often associated with childcare and a feeling of being able to look after someone but knowing they might not want you there forever. I'm thinking of mums and dads who have to let their kids fly the nest and go off to university or get a job or get married and have a little bit of a sadness around them. But there's lots of other ways and times that you might be called on to care for someone. Perhaps a partner who's sick or a grandparent who is nearing the end of their life. Or maybe you're employed to care for someone, a little bit like today's guest. My name's Bilal Zafar. I'm a comedian and over lockdown I've become a Twitch streamer as well. Those are the two main things and a bit of acting and writing, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got many strings to your bow. I mean, the Twitch thing is, I find Twitch fascinating because it, it really has taken off. But um, of course, like you said, you're also a comedian by trade and um, I assume like most comedians, you're off to Edinburgh this year. I am, yeah. Um, all of August, uh, doing the whole run and I am... Yeah, it's uh, so the show I'm doing is called Care, and it's just an hour of like storytelling stand up about a year I spent working in a care home for the elderly uh, when I was 21. So it's my first proper job after right. doing a media degree. Um, yeah, and there's there's just a lot of stuff there. Like it's um, in hindsight, I realised how strange the whole thing was, and even me doing that job was was a weird decision. Um, well, I was, yeah, I was going to say, it's a weird yeah. thing to fall into, especially, like, no offence, having done a media degree, I wouldn't have thought my first turn would be like, oh, I'm probably going to go and work in a care home now. That's, that's odd. But there's nothing to, like, if, if you do a media degree, a, yeah. a lot of the time, unless your parents know someone, there's not really a way in. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess for some people there is, if they're quite clever, you could be like a runner on a film set or something. But um, I didn't really want to do that. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, actually, I had just started doing open mic comedy. Right. So I thought I want to do that. I had no idea if I'd be successful at it or how long it'd take or whatever. But yeah, that was it. Really, it was. It, it wasn't the care thing. Was never. A, it was never a career. It was like I'm going to do this for now. Um, yeah. It was just. Yeah. I just thought I'd give it a go. I just thought it'd be quite nice. I didn't realize how bad the pay was. Oh man. And yeah. Yeah. Like well, when I say I didn't realize, I mean obviously I knew what I was being paid, which was six pound fifty an hour. But I didn't realize how much I was being ripped off because um, I'd never worked before. You know, you don't, I don't, you don't really know the value of money, really. Yeah, sure. And six fifty an hour isn't isn't a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, adjusting and stuff like that. But still, I mean, that's quite a big responsibility for low pay, right? It's weird, isn't it? It's it seems almost a bit dodgy that uh, <laughs> you'd pay someone with a media degree six pound fifty an hour to keep people alive. It's oh my god weird. when you put it like that christ it's almost yeah. like they were desperate yeah i mean also um i talk about this all in the show but like uh i found out when i was there that some people were paying um ten thousand pounds a month to stay in the home whoa yeah <laughs> oh um, my god so basically it wasn't um it wasn't a normal care home it was like um a big american company that set mm-hmm. loads of homes up in i guess i guess like um wealthy areas of the uk mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this was quite a 
yeah, fancy bit of like the Northwest. Um, because they can, you know, they can charge people a lot of money. It looks really fancy. That's the thing. The building looks amazing. Um, and they, you know, I guess they do have a lot of, I guess they got all the equipment and all of that is all, is all great. And, and the food, I guess, is good. But they, you know, they advertise this as like a luxury kind of thing. But actually, it was me on minimum wage. <laughs> um, Thinking like, whoa, where's my media degree? Why didn't I use that? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so tell me like walking in there, like the first weeks or so that they must have been quite like overwhelming to get in there and just be like what the hell am I doing it just feels a bit exciting in a way being in the real world and having responsibility and having a little name badge that I had made for me and stuff um so it was it was exciting to do it and um initially you know you're shadowing someone and and it is kind of fun in a way because you're getting to know some of the residents there Mm -hmm. um but then obviously when you actually start and it's like a 7 a.m start and and then you realise that the way it is is that they give you just way too much responsibility as well, which I think is the case in a lot of um, minimum wage work is that you're mm-hmm. just given far too much to do. So like um, something I talk about in my show is like uh, there was one time where so so because there wasn't a lot of male carers in the home, it was ma- a massive building, and I was one of the few male carers. I guess not a lot of men do that job. Mm. Um, so the sort of managers decided that I was. Uh, a good person to deal with like what to if if one of the male residents was having a bit of a problem I was like a good person to like sort of deal with it so like there was one morning wow. when uh, a man uh, was quite he I guess he got quite anxious and he got quite aggressive and he'd thrown a mug at one of the carers and it just missed her and they said oh. to me oh can you go in and calm him down and I went in and he was holding another mug in his hand <laughs> oh my god so it's like an active sort of shooter situation <laughs> But they didn't tell me that, you know, and obviously I wasn't trained to do, to deal with any violent stuff at all. Um, I get uh, to be fair, I guess it is it's difficult, especially when there's like because obviously we had a lot of people with dementia, mm-hmm. and you can't really train for that because it's so random, you know. Yeah, yeah. How did you feel like walking into those situations? Were you just like, did you did you? I, I just feel I would feel so overwhelmed with dealing with someone with dementia or dealing with someone about to throw a mug at me or are you are you generally quite a calm person are you okay just being like okay this is the situation let's see what happens next I think you just have to get on with it right you know once you're there and it's happening it's like well this is it um and also like I said I was quite young so I, I was 21 so I didn't I didn't know how mad this situation was in a way yeah. you just kind of go with it um but with the with the dementia people, it is, it's quite interesting. It's like, so we had like a top floor, which was all like, it had to be like um, that you needed a code to get in and out. It had to be really secure. There, I think there weren't any TVs upstairs. There were no calendars or anything because you couldn't show people what year it was. Oh, it wow. might confuse them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were people that thought I was like their cousin and stuff. Oh, right. And yeah. you kind of have to go with it a bit, you know? Like yeah, um, yeah, I've heard that you have to kind of lean into it a bit, a little bit, yeah. Because you're not going to say like if someone you're just trying to help someone eat or you know help them go to bed or whatever, you you don't need to say no. I'm not related to you. You're in a care home. You're 90 <laughs> years old. You know you wouldn't do that. That's, that's yeah, yeah. ridiculous. So you yeah you go with it a bit. Like there was one night when um, there was a group of ladies just sort of hanging. Around. So it's like the the way the top floor looked as well is like it, it was quite an interesting design because it just felt like a kind of massive sort of living room mm-hmm, okay um I guess it was meant to look kind of homely right so that yeah. people feel calm 
Um, and there was a group of ladies that just wouldn't go to bed. And it was like 1am or something. I was doing a night shift. And uh, one of the ladies I realised after talking to her a bit, um, she thought it was her house, the whole building. Right. And she thought I worked for her. And again, you just have to kind of go with it. And there was another lady who was sitting up as well, who um, I was trying to convince her to go to bed. And she said, okay, I will, but will I get room service? <laughs> right. And I said, oh, yes, you will. And then I just had to pretend it was a hotel. Oh, man. And like take her a cup of tea. You know? <laughs> um, oh, so wow. It was stuff like that, which... Again, you don't, I guess you don't realise how strange that is when you're doing it, right? It's only in hindsight now. It's, you know, it's been ages since I've done any proper work, really. Catherine Lutz, who spent time on the island, made some interesting observations on Fago. She said this. Fago speaks to the sense that life is fragile, that connections to others both are precious and may be severed through death or travel, that love may equal loss. Fago is uttered in recognition of the suffering that is everywhere and in the spirit of a vigorous optimism that human effort, most especially in the form of caring for others, can control its ravages. So basically, she talks about kindness in the face of pain, which I suppose is a good example of the compassion slash love slash sadness Venn diagram of emotions that makes up Fago. And I should say, Fago is more than a fleeting feeling. It could be described as a key part of your personality. You might be a person filled with Fago. The Ithaluk people, a mostly matriarchal society, valued Fago as an important emotion to have, to make sure that society runs smoothly. Bilal and I talked about the responsibility of looking after someone's happiness levels, not only caring for them in a practical sense, but looking after their well-being. And also... How did it affect him? He mentioned that if patients were clearly unhappy there, it was difficult not to be moved by it. So I asked if there were any moments in particular that affected him. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that... So, like, this is this is what's been a bit hard about doing the show, is that I don't want it to be a sad show. A yeah. lot of people do Edinburgh shows where they want people to cry and stuff, and I, d- I don't <laughs> want that. Um, but there's certain things that I'm not including because they are too sad, like... Um, Around Christmas time, so I don't really celebrate Christmas. So on Christmas Day, I would work and it would be double pay, mm-hmm. um, which was nice. But right. it was the home was like overstaffed because there was there was too many of us. So then my job became just hanging out with the people who had no visitors. Oh, I know, and that oh, was God. I know. Sorry, that was really <laughs> sad <laughs> because like you could see um, you could see residents sitting down and seeing people have their like great great grandkids and stuff visit and they had no one. Oh yeah which is i don't I mean i don't know i don't understand that but uh, i don't understand how that can happen yeah I, I mean but we had that a lot i mean there was a lady who like her i think she had to be moved from the home and put in like a council one because her son owed the care home like literally tens of thousands wow okay and he'd run off Apparently to like Australia, that was the rumor. Right. Um, so he'd just gone, and she owed all this money. So then, I don't know what even happens with that. I guess they just have to write that off. Yeah. But it's all a bit weird, isn't it? It's, it's weird how this thing is a big business as well. I I, I find care homes a bit fascinating. Optimistically, I always think they're hopefully going to be a bit like uh, university halls, but just when you're older. Yeah. 
I really want it to be like that, but I, I suspect my optimism has got the best of me there. Yeah, yeah. I say on my show that I like when I was because I was so young, I, I didn't really know what a care home was, and I thought it was a bit like school, like where you just have to go yeah. when you're a certain age. I didn't, you know. Um, it's a nice way of looking at it. Did, was <laughs> yeah. there one person that like, or a couple of people there that you kind of bonded with as maybe staff or maybe maybe the the, the people in there? Yeah, I mean, staff, not that much. Really. I know they're all right, but you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, um, in my show, I talk about a guy called, um, a guy called Barry, who was um, very nice and very sort of quite funny, but he was completely blind. He was going deaf. He was in a wheelchair and he was on this oxygen machine. Wow. So it's very, very unwell. And when I was first introduced to him, because it was in the north, how they people pronounce my name, they saw, they said, Barry, this is Bilal. Mm-hmm. And he said, Al. And we <laughs> said, no, Bilal. And he said, Al. And we said, yeah, fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so sure. he just called me Al the whole time. <laughs> and... Um, they were even, I found out that, um, because people like gossip a lot. I mean, I made the mistake of when I just started doing stand up of telling everyone I did it. Oh, rookie error. Uh, yeah, I know. Not, not, I didn't like tell the residents and stuff, but like, um, other carers had told mm-hmm. some of them. So then Barry would like, there was a period of time where he was sort of telling me jokes. Oh. And I didn't know why. <laughs> and, <laughs> And it turned out it's because he was kind of trying to help me out. I mean, the, the first time he did... Okay, right, I'll tell you one of the jokes, right? Go for it, yeah. Um, this actually happened. I was doing a night shift. And see, this is completely true. This, like, it might seem like I even made it up. But, like, everyone had these um, these buzzer things. So we had these, like, beepers. Mm-hmm. And if someone was in trouble, they'd press this pendant thing they had around their neck. And we'd have to rush over because, you know, they could have fallen or be in mm-hmm. trouble, you know. Um, and he did that and it was literally like 3am and I panicked and went in and he said, uh, he said, Al, I went, yeah. I was like, are you all right? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, are you all right? And I said, yeah. (laughs) And he said, no, you're not. And I didn't understand what he meant. And he said, he said, you're not all right because some of you is left. Oh no. Oh God. And I was like, what? (laughs) Cause you know, I was sort of panicking for yeah. his health at the time. And I was like, what? And he kind of, he was laying on his bed and he kind of showed me with his hand. Like he kind of drew an imaginary line on the wall. Like, you are not all right. <laughs> oh, some man. of you is left. And I was like, is he telling me a joke? That is a proper dad joke, isn't it? Oh, my God. It really God. is. But like the last time you want to hear it when you're like, oh, my God, I'm panicking. <laughs> are you OK? And he's just there yeah. like, I've got this joke in the middle of the night. I must tell Al. Like, oh, yeah. God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we uh, just like, time, cool, I, thanks, know, I guess. Yeah, I just sort of said goodnight. <laughs> <laughs> but at that time, I didn't know that he knew that I had just started doing oh, right. the open mics. Um, so I didn't know why this had happened. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, I was asking, I was going to ask you about this because the, this emotion that I'm kind of researching, um, it has this feeling about it where you kind of, you know you're looking after someone, but you know it's going to end, whether that means obviously the person passing away or the person leaving you or you leaving them. And I guess if you knew you had comedy going on in the background, were you always there thinking, I can get through this because I know this isn't forever? Yeah, I've had that for a while, really. I had that with all my day jobs, which um, even looking back now, that's it's kind of weird having that much optimism, mm-hmm. That like, especially because stand-up is so competitive. Mm-hmm. It's, I just sort of decided I was going to do it and be good at it and have it as a job one day. Um, 
so I had that with like, yeah, so with the care home job, I was never going to stay there forever. Like there wasn't, I think I did it for like a year. There was never going to be any progression. And if they, I mean, all the, the, the ways to get more money were um, an extra 50p an hour if I did like the, gave out medication. Right. And um, you needed to go through all this training for that. And genuinely, right, that, this is the sort of thing that happened with me- medicine. And, and I'm not even putting this in the show because it's too stupid. <laughs> um, I was sort of helping one of the carers with the medicine thing. And I had to wake uh, a resident up and to give him medicine. And when I checked what medicine it was, it was a sleeping pill. Oh, my God. I know. But oh. you have to do that. Oh, God. Yeah. I, yeah, there must be so many checks and balances. And you're like, oh, this is ridiculous. What am I doing this for? This makes no sense. Yeah, and I, so I didn't bother oh. for the extra 50p, you know. So I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure I could work in a care home. Not only am I wildly impractical, I'd also spend the whole time very nervous of doing something wrong, of kind of breaking one of the people in there. It's not that I don't understand Fago, but... Maybe I'm a bit nervous of it. It comes with an implied responsibility. So I was impressed with Bilal for stepping into this job, especially when he was so young. I think when I was his age in London, I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I was older. I still don't know, in case you're wondering. And he seemed to get a lot out of it. He mentioned that some of his favourite moments were bonding with a group of older ladies, helping them fill in their crosswords and remembering exactly how they take their tea. One drop of milk for some, extra sugar for others. Of course, the fact he remembered these details delighted them. So finally, I wondered whether it changes the way he treats people now, and also how he approaches his comedy career. Something that was a bit weird for me, um, which I don't even know if I'm putting this in the show, but it's like, culturally, we wouldn't put our parents in a care home. Right. Like, unless we... I I should say, like, I don't think every single person that puts relatives in a care home is evil. It's not that at all. Like, some people do need a lot of care. Mm -hmm. Like, like this Barry guy, for example, like, he needed, like, 24-hour care. You can't... I I totally understand that. But there were some people who just seemed absolutely fine. And it was a bit weird. And, And sometimes you'd see them deteriorate in the care home. Like they would start getting very forgetful and stuff. Yeah. It, it was weird. Um, I guess that was one of the weird things for me is like, it's just, it's kind of a very alien world to me. Um, not that, although there is, I have seen like um, more and more sort of Asian or whatever families have started using care homes. Mm-hmm. But before it was never a thing. It was like, you absolutely don't do that. Like you'd have, if you have your own family and stuff, you'd have, an old relative stay with yeah, you. Yeah, live with you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is not, I mean, you know, I, I understand that's not attractive, but I, it's the idea of putting them in this place. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I get, to be honest, I think doing this kind of work has made me just appreciate kind of my career now a lot more. Mm-hmm, like, because mm-hmm. I know there's, there's a lot of comedians who like have got like quite wealthy parents that have helped them out and stuff. And I've never had that at all. You know, I've not had that privilege. So it's like I've always had to fund myself in whatever I do. So like the fact now that I can do stuff on Twitch and like like tonight I'm doing a stream where we're watching, I'm doing a watch along of Eurovision 1973. Oh my God. Yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> we're going through all of them. <laughs> okay. Going through all of them. And like the fact that I'm going to make money doing that tonight is ridiculous. 
you know? But hey, when I compare it to what I was doing before. Yeah, I guess you're right. It does make you appreciate it even more, doesn't it? That's yeah. the best thing. Um, and so tell me before I let you go. Um, well, first of all, I was going to say, I bet those old ladies absolutely loved you. I bet they were like, this young man <laughs> is giving us the tea we need and he's talking to us. Yeah. And he, oh my God, I bet they were gutted when you left. Um, but yeah, tell me, uh, tell me where your show is in Edinburgh and what time it's on. Uh, it's at the Underbelly Bristow Square. I think the venue is called Jersey, but yeah, in the Bristow Square area. It's called Care. It's at 5.30pm almost every day. I find the concept of Fago fascinating and the place where it comes from even more so, especially as it's somewhere so far away from my patch of land and yet it's so relatable. I've absolutely no doubt I will visit Ifaluk in another podcast soon because I think there's so much more to discover from them. For example, not only do they know how much of a big deal it is to care for another person, they also understand it's not always easy. It's a mixture of thoughts and feelings. It's love. It's compassion. It's pity. It's sadness when it doesn't go well. It's understanding that it's a temporary arrangement, whether good or bad. It's knowing how to make someone feel safe and protected. And it's remembering exactly how they take their tea. This was Getting Emotional, and that was Fago. Big thank you to Bilal for chatting to me about his time working in the care home. Like he said, his show is going to be on at the Edinburgh Festival all through August. Also, you can catch him on Twitter, at ZafaCakes, that's Z-A-F-A-R Cakes. You can see me there as well, at Get Emotional Pod, and you can find me on Instagram, at Getting Emotional Podcast. So no excuse not to get in touch. See you soon.